Welcome to Dan and Brandon's as of yet unnamed podcast. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This we're, is Brandon and Dan. We're making a podcast. We decided that I have to sit here and sign lots and lots of pages. Um, and Dan is kind enough to keep me company. And we like to talk. This is uh, something that the two of us share. Yes. We, we, enjoy, we enjoy the sound of our voices and others' voices, <laughs> each other's voices. Uh, and so we thought we would talk on a podcast. Yeah. But we can't name it. We have no idea what to name Yeah, it. so because we are, you know, we have more than a decade as award-winning professional podcasters, <laughs> yeah. we came into this with no prep whatsoever. I prep. I just can't decide on Oh, so on you, you have some names? Oh, I have, I have names. I have names. Um, so I thought we would probably spend a lot of time talking about pop culture. Okay. So I thought, hey, the word popcorn could work in it. So pop culture popcorn. And then my wife said, pop culture pops. Or was that, that might have been someone else that, uh, because we're both dads and okay. we'll likely make lots of terrible jokes. So um, <laughs> popcorn pops, pop culture pops, or pop culture popcorn. That's a lot of pops. And wow. nobody I told that to. Thought it was good. No, nobody liked that. Yes, everyone's like, eh. See, my brain always goes to the portmanteau mm -hmm. word, and so I want to say popcornture, <laughs> even though that's like <laughs> empirically terrible. That that sounds terrible. <laughs> If you, you guys don't know what I'm referencing, one of my favorite <laughs> stories from Dan Ever is the Terabad story. Was it Terra? I can't remember if it was Terabad or Stubad. Oh, it was Stubad. It was You're Stubad. right. It was Stubad. Yeah. I one of the jobs that I had, uh, which actually is a company that I loved working for, uh, I was a senior writer at this startup company, and they were trying to do all this stuff. It was It was Utah, and so it was an MLM for a while. Um, I mean, it still is as far as I know, but I don't work there. They came up with some word, which I can't remember. Oh, I can. It, it was, was it? So you had this, you came, you told me about this. You had, they had this big meeting where the executive had mm -hmm. come like up with the, the CEO, perfect, the yeah. owner of the company. Yeah. That the, they had trademarked already. And he said, we're, our products are all going to be safe effective. That's right. Safe effective. Because they're safe and effective. Oh, man. And as far as I know, now that I'm no longer working there uh, in a senior position and capable of killing it, for all I know, they're using that word now. And, and... now they're all going to Google safe effective and know. And they're going to say, who's safe effective? So, yeah, they, they talked all about safe effective. And I said, I think that's a really stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you they loved you. At you know that what? They actually did. One of my roles that I had in that company was the guy that everyone likes and can tell people that they're wrong without offending them. You were the court jester. I kind of was. Mm. Yeah. That fits you quite well. I was the social lubricant of that company. Mm -hmm. And if somebody needed to tell the vice president or whoever, you know, that's a terrible idea or we're going to go in a different direction with the magazine. I was the one to bear the bad news because I could get away with anything. It was a very nice... Everybody loves Dan. Dennis the Menace kind of job. Which is really weird because you do write... Every, the number of people I've, they've said, Dan is so nice to me because they're shocked. Or they're like, I can't <laughs> believe how nice a person he is. Because they've heard about you. And, and my books are all so dark. Well, not all of them, but... No. Back then in particular, when you started... I was describing um, our current collaboration, Dark mm -hmm. One Forgotten, to uh, James Sutter just this mm -hmm. morning. And he's like, that does not sound in the least bit like a Brandon book. But I can understand why you're working with him, because it totally sounds like a Dan book. Because it's all about like serial killers and supernatural monsters. And You have made me interested in this stuff. I was not Yay. the least bit interested in serial killers until you wrote a really interesting book series about them. And then I started like watching the occasional true crime thing and stuff like that. And I blame you. You have warped me. <laughs> you are you are this this innocent, kindly, uh, joking man who uh, who turns people into serial killer addicts. Turns people, yeah. And uh, boy, and I'm not the only one. Uh, when we started working on uh, Dark One Forgotten, 
I I had never listened to any of the murder podcasts. Yeah. Uh, and so I went out and I listened to season one of Serial and I listened to all these other things. I listened to one called Paper Ghosts, uh, a bunch of different ones. And they're just everywhere. My yeah. word. Like yeah. Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago had a whole song about women who watch murder shows. And I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly more of a cultural movement than I realized it was. I really like Serial when I listened to it. And I think that kicked off a lot of it's this so to people. It's so great. It's hard, honestly, to watch some of, or listen to some of the other ones uh, because so many of them tend to get very breathless mm-hmm. and very melodramatic. Like, I'm going to play you this footage, but it is quite honestly very disturbing. Right. And it's like paranormal activity where it's like, look how disturbing this is. And then like a salt shaker tips over. Like, oh! Says, oh no! Yeah. But cereal it has such a wonderful kind of self-deprecating tone to mm-hmm. it, where she is inserting herself not as part of the story, but as this goofy reporter who's trying to get good audio and driving around in her car. And yep. Can't find the right place, and you know, not not that she comes across as incompetent in any way. She's an incredible reporter. Yeah. But. Her voice is so much more approachable than so many of the other murder shows. For those who don't know, the Dark One Forgotten, the thing we're writing, is kind of uh, in the Dark One universe, which I have a graphic novel that came out mm-hmm. about. And I wanted to do a fake version of Serial for that universe, uh, something like Serial. Such a brilliant idea. Uh, dark One has a supernatural serial, serial killer in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the kind of two main stories it's telling is the trial of this guy which means that he's caught at the beginning yes the book starts with him being having been captured so 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 we're doing a prequel novella but rather than a novella it is six episodes of a murder podcast detailing how this person is tracked down and caught and it's been a delight to write i do a lot of script writing Uh, i've done all this audio stuff with uh, my zero books and so turning that, taking that skill set that I've developed and then turning it towards my old love of serial killers, it's just been fun. You know, we are very off topic. This is going to happen a lot, listeners. Uh, maybe we should call our podcast Stewbad. Stewbad. <laughs> that is probably the worst title you, for a podcast. You know what? Anyone has ever come up with. That could be its secret name, listeners. Stewbad. The Stewbad Podcast. Off topic, the Stewbad Podcast. <laughs> oh, off topic isn't bad. I can't. Someone's got to already have a podcast called Off Topic, right? If nobody has a podcast named Off Topic, that is what we're doing. I'm looking that up right now. Okay, I typed Off Topic, mm-hmm. and the first thing that came up was. I think it just the phone heard me. Off topic podcast. Yep. There's a podcast called Off Topic. It's oh, already wow. on Apple Podcasts. Oh well. That's a that's that's a good title. Good for them. Smart person came up with a great yeah. idea for a podcast title. We could call it Look Ma, I made a podcast. Again. Is, that's a stupid idea. That's a yeah. So Adam suggested nerds nerds with exclamation points. Because Based on the Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. Yes. That's which... Nerds, nerds. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, it was. it's better than mine. Um, the problem is, like, all podcasts are nerds now, right? Like, the word nerd basically doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Like, I feel like it's a word that has been oversaturated in the market, so to speak. It has been, uh, which is why I typically use geek. Yeah. But even geek. Even is, geek. Like, there are so many geek-focused podcasts yeah. and things. Uh, I would rather something a little more different than that. Well, the good news is I just looked up Nerds Nerds, and uh, there's not already a podcast called that. Mm. Or at least it doesn't show up on page one of Google, which might be valuable. Um, what is, what are some other euphemisms for nerd? Well, I, I don't know if we want to go there though, because like, yes, we're nerds, but I don't think that's actually the selling point of our podcast, right? That's true. I know a lot of nerdy people and among all of them, 
you and I are among the less nerdy, I feel, <laughs> right? Um, like we are. We do not have that is probably true. Like I, I, like, I say you gotta remember when he says this, we write science fiction and fantasy books for a living. I'm a professional game master, and yet in our social circle, we are among the least nerdy people. Yeah. Like I, uh... You know, when I go to church, hands down, I'm oh, the yeah. nerdiest guy there. Oh, yeah. I lived with multiple Jenningses. Uh, <laughs> of Ken Jennings fame. Ken Jennings fame. And those guys, uh, I mean, you want Simpson quotes. You want to be told at length the history of some very small minutia. Uh, you you can ask a like Jennings, um, and a Jennings will tell you. Uh, one of my my favorite things about knowing uh, Ken and Nathan was we we have a mutual friend and uh, other former roommate named Earl. Um, Earl's so great. Yeah, Earl is awesome, and Earl actually went to Jeopardy to try out with Ken at the same time, and oh, really? Ken got a call back, and uh, Earl never did. And it really kind of bothered him because he thought he'd done well on the test and stuff. So eventually he went to a taping with Ken because for those who don't know, Ken won like all the Jeopardy. And Earl's like, well, what, what's up? He actually asked him. Um, or no, he didn't even ask. He just went and they saw him. They're like, oh, hey, uh, you might be interested to know this. You passed the test to be on Jeopardy. But because of conflicts of interest and, you know, certain things, we can't put two former roommates on an episode together. Oh. That makes perfect sense if you think yeah. about it. And they only keep your results for a test for a season. You have to apply again at the start of a new season. Oh, so which Ken is, was just so successful, Earl yeah. never got a chance. He never got a chance because Ken went the whole season. And so all the, the results. And so they're like, yeah, you would have been on. If Ken hadn't won all the Jeopardy, uh, which is both, uh, if you know, if Earl yeah. had gotten the callback, they did all sorts of quiz show stuffs in college together and things like that. So, yeah. But regardless, one of my favorite moments of being around some Jenningses is it feels like to me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, viewing this wrong, but that in normal day parlance, people like them underclock themselves. Yes. Uh, in yes. order to interact with mere mortals like us, they just they leave it just a little bit above normal parlance, normal normal conversation. But when you yeah. saw the three of them get together, suddenly the overclocking came off, and you saw their brains work at this kind of resonant level beyond <laughs> what I could even catch and they would instead of here's a simpsons quote from an episode you know here's a simpsons quote that was referenced in another show wrong and someone else is responding with three words to some other quote that references some greek philosopher and they just start going and going and they're all laughing and telling jokes of which only one or two words are leaving their mouths before everyone else is laughing in the in the trio mm -hmm. and i had never felt like i had met an alien species <laughs> more than I did in that moment where I realized, oh, I do do not know what's happening here, and I can barely follow this. Yeah, I remember at more than one conversation with Nathan Jennings where I always got the impression he was waiting for me to catch up. Yep. You know? And that's just what it's like talking to him. And we're not that. What are we, Dan? <sighs> we are, are we? Slower paced. Um, I don't know what we are. We're storytellers. We are storytellers. That's really what we are. Um, people get that mixed up. They think that I'm going to be into trivia or things like that or minutia mm -hmm. um, or whatnot where I, I, I don't care. Well, and a lot of science fiction and fantasy fans are. Yes. Uh, because of that, it attracts that personality type. And there's nothing, you know, I, I enjoy listening to other people talk about their fascinations and expertises. Uh, I watch a lot of YouTube videos of people who get very nerdy into a topic that I don't know much about. It's actually really helpful for me because I'm a storyteller and I want to know what people are passionate about. I want to understand why they're passionate about it and I want to be able to explore that in my stories. That's who I am. Yeah. So I'm wondering uh, if there's a pun we can make on culture. 
Yes. If we go if for a more biological, growing a culture in a dish kind of idea. <laughs> oh, that's not is, bad. Is there something to yeah. be done there? Mm. See, I was going a different direction, looking at like the storyteller thing. Uh, you know, Dan and Brandon's story time. But we don't want it, like, we don't want people to assume that we're going to sit around and tell them stories that are yeah. relevant. We're not going to sit here and do a scripted podcast. We are going to jab, a, or, <laughs> we are going to jabber together about things we find amusing. Storytellers who don't tell stories is yeah. kind of a terrible name. Yes, as well. yes. So we we're really good at terrible podcast <laughs> names. Is what I'm discovering. Oh boy, mm. I was terrible at titles for the longest time too. Yeah, if you remember that, I do I remember came that up now. With so many bad ones. I actually hadn't remembered that because you tend to be pretty good at them now. I had to teach myself how to be good at them. I was not that great either. Like my fifth book that never got published is that I've talked to people about. It's called the fifth, the sixth incarnation of Pandora, which is just an awful name. <laughs> Even before Pandora got overused, but it in... sounds like a fantastic metal song. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> Elantris. A lot of people um, don't know that I originally called that uh, Adonis. Adonis. I Anyone tell who story. has your uh, your special edition anniversary edition knows that because oh yeah you wrote the... I wrote it in the introduction. So this is my debut novel. Uh, Dan and I started a writing group very in our college careers near the end of our college careers. Very yeah. soon into our friendship, we started a little writing group, and the first thing we were going to workshop is my most recent unpublished fantasy novel, which I have named The Spirit of Adonis. Now. Uh, Adonis, I had not connected to the book, the actual Greek mythological figure, because mm -hmm. I was saying the word Adonis, and I had built the whole language around this idea of what we call the aeons, which are like little little morphemes that are like, you know, two mm -hmm. long vowel sounds. I'm like, oh, Edo, that's a cool one. It has like, you know, uh, I would eventually use it again in Adonalsium, which is uh, part of the Cosmere and stuff. And I'm like, I just like that sound. So Edo something, Adonis, I'll call it Adonis. And then I sent the, the early books to Dan and the group, and I still remember meeting together, and I think it was Ben's office at, on campus. That makes sense. Um, and uh, we're like, we're going to discuss the we act, I actually sent the whole book. We didn't know how to do workshops. Yeah, we were terrible at it. <laughs> we it, we it, sent the whole book. It wasn't the first session either. It mm -hmm. was like the third or fourth one when I'm finally like, okay, when is the Greek stuff going to show up? Yeah. And you had no idea what I meant. Yeah, I was I was completely flat-footed, and it took me like minutes. Like it was probably seconds, but it felt like minutes yeah, we, to catch up and be like, Adonis. Oh no! <laughs> but even the fact that I called it like I changed it to Elantris very quickly after that. Mm -hmm. But even then, I still called it the Spirit of Elantris, which is a way worse title than just Elantris. Yeah. Um. And so. Well, it was Moshe that cut that out, right? Yeah. 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 So Brandon's editor uh, that, that bought that book was Moshe Fetter and fixed his title. He also bought my first book, uh, which I did not at the time have a title because I hadn't come up with one. But the file was called I Am Not a Serial Killer because that was my really kind of blunt force trauma description of what the book was about. And Moshe's like, no, that's that's the great title. You have to keep that. So he he taught us both how to title things. Yeah. It still I have troubles sometimes. Once in a while a title comes to me. Like The Way of Kings, I named before I wrote the book, years before I wrote the book. Yeah. Um, I just came up with this thing. It felt like path and way are very used a lot in various Asian languages. Um you know, uh, do in Korean mm -hmm. means the path of or the way of. So taekwondo, um, that's where that do, what that do is meaning and things like that. And so it, the idea of the path of or the way of is just a, it's a phrase I like. And I thought the way of kings, what would a book called the way of kings be about? It'd probably be some sort of treaties like Machiavelli's The Prince. Um, and for years I was thinking about that and eventually wrote a book where the Way of Kings is a book in the Way yeah, of Kings. Yeah, I was going to say, it, I think it was Dragonsteel, wasn't it? Or was it something else in which they referenced a book called the Way of Kings? No, it was actually the Way of Kings. Uh, Dragonsteel had Dalinar in it and the okay. uh, Bridgman. So um, you you knew them before the book happened, mm -hmm. but it didn't have the Way of Kings, I don't think. Maybe maybe, maybe some fans going to be like, oh, Brandon, you once again don't know your own books. 
maybe. Do you get that? Do you get fans asking you questions and you go off on something they're like, uh, that's not what's in the book. And then you realize that you changed it in like the fifth draft and your brain still thinks it's the <laughs> still first draft. Still remembers the first draft. Yeah. Um, I will occasionally get that. The, the big time for me when I realized I had no idea what my own world building was, was when we were making the serial killer movie. And I had this big <laughs> meeting where I sat down with the director and the producer. And I think they had um, Toby Froud, the, the effects guy on the phone. And they're like, okay, explain to us how the monster works. <laughs> and I said, um, I don't know. Okay, but like, you've got some chapters where uh, the old man turns into a monster. Is the monster like coming out of him? Or is he shape-shifting <laughs> like a werewolf? Or what's going on? And I said, I don't know. You know, I still think, I think Christopher Lloyd still bears a little bit of a grudge against you. Uh, because <laughs> when I saw him at a, in the green room, I mentioned the movie. Oh, really? Yes. And he's like, oh, yeah, I froze on that movie or something like that. He was very nice. He's super so nice. Cold. But I think that there might be some latent, like what he remembers of that movie is that author made me freeze. And as cold as he was, the rest of us were freezing. So there's a scene, if you've seen the movie, where... Um, you know, the main character goes up and he finds the old man, who, spoiler warning, is a monster, um, like, in the middle of the night, in front of a truck, and he's, like, you know, trying to kill him with his claws and whatever. And so this was about one in the morning in, like, absolute nowhere Michigan. And it was freezing. It was, like, 30 or 40 degrees below zero. I am not exaggerating. And all of us were outside, you know, the, the victim was laying on the floor in just a light jacket, um, laying on the, on the street in a light jacket covered with uh, fake blood. So he was wet and cold. And we filmed as much of it as we could. And then uh, Christopher Lloyd is sitting in a car with the engine running so the heater can be on. And when it's time for him to do a scene, we go, oh, Mr. Lloyd, come on out. And he would come out and he would do a scene. And then he'd go back and he'd sit in the car while the rest of us would point hair dryers at this poor guy on the floor so he wouldn't die of hypothermia. Hair dryers. That's amusing. Hair dryers and blankets. Hmm. Maybe we should call our podcast uh, Christopher Lloyd does not like the cold. <laughs> Is that worse than the others? Is that the well, worst of the night? What, what he specifically said to me mm. was, never write a scene like that again. Mm. And that would be a delightful name never for a podcast. Never write a scene like that again. That is, uh, that is not bad. Though that does, again, kind of imply that this is going to be a writing podcast. That's true. And it's it's kind of long. Uh, our uh, producer is sitting in the corner being like, don't do a don't long one. Call don't that. call it that, please. How about intentionally blank? Intentionally blank. That's not bad, actually. It's short. Uh-huh. And it says what we're trying to say. Yes. What if we called our podcast Bad at Titles? <laughs> that wouldn't uh <laughs> we are bad at titles oh my gosh uh yeah we are that and that and and the fact the thing i love about this ironically is that we are inviting so much criticism on ourselves yes um i had originally called the third john cleaver book full of holes and uh, our mutual friend jancy patterson talked me out of that one because she's like every review of it is going to talk about how the plot is full of holes. Like you can't just pitch that ball right across the plate. Oh, I got one. I got one for you, Dan. <laughs> Do you know what the second Stormlight book's original title was? Ooh, I'm excited. Oh, this is, this. this is, so for those who don't know the Stormlight archive, like the idea that it's an archive is that all the books have an in-world book in the book, right? Mm -hmm. um, I heard you like books, dog. So I put a book in your book. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted an in-world book for each of them. And I had this really cool idea for an in-world kind of religious text where it was it was blank and you filled it with your knowledge and the book could never be finished because the knowledge of the of the world could never contain it and so the mm -hmm. idea the whole philosophy in this religious order was that they were trying to find all the knowledge knowing they could never find all of it and the book that they had was called the book of endless pages and my title for words of radiance was book of endless pages until moshe said Brandon, you can't call a thousand-page epic fantasy book 
that people already mock for being too long. The Book of Endless Pages. You just cannot. It, it will be a meme too oh. quickly. That's too bad because it's a fantastic title. Isn't it? You need to do like a short story set yeah. in the world oh, and call it idea. the Book of Endless Pages. And then it's like five pages long. So it's like reversing the joke. Oh, man. That's uh, we could call our podcast the podcast of endless pages. Because uh, <laughs> as referenced, I am sitting here signing pages yeah. while we do this. Yeah. Um, and I am signing a ton of well these. and i have seen like the full line of pages and it is emotionally daunting just to look at so there's a lot of them yeah i have to i hope this doesn't show up on the podcast do you want to talk the snyder cut for a little while you know we should absolutely talk about the snyder cut because here's why i have not seen the original justice league and i have not seen the snyder cut and yet i have so many opinions <laughs> about its oh, creation hilarious. and existence. Ooh, I want to hear. So, like, it's the most expensive indie film ever made, right? The The thing is that movies are innately and inherently collaborative, and that's part of the whole purpose of them. Right, it's the big difference between what we do and what they do. Yeah. Is we generally are solitary scribes in a corner somewhere writing down our ideas and when a film works it works really well because a lot of creative people get together a lot of people get together and, and when they fail it's because a lot of people with different ideas get together and don't it doesn't mesh yeah and you have that kind of written by committee look at this weird platypus kind of mm -hmm. thing uh and and in books we've got this phenomenon where somebody is too important to be edited yeah right mm -hmm. um and you know the circumstances behind snyder leaving the justice league movie are tragic and terrible, and, and I don't want to say anything about that um, because he Other did what he had it, to do. It feels like a bit of a jerk move on the part of whoever was putting that behind, uh, was going on behind the scenes, right? Because they obviously wanted a different movie than he was making. And yeah. It feels a little, now no, knowing, it feels exploitative that they're like, ooh. He has a personal tragedy. This is a good chance. This is our chance to push him out. We're going to push him out and make Marvel a Marvel movie instead. Yeah. And if that's what happened, then yeah, somebody needs their knuckles slapped pretty hard. Um, but the idea now that HBO is like, sure, how much money do you want? Like, how? I, I don't even know. Is it $400 million? No, no, they something? gave him like an Same? extra 80 or something. Like 80, total, 80 million yeah. dollars. Uh, we'd have to look up that. Which is, don't tell us that it's 70 or whatever yeah. in the comments, but yeah. it, they didn't give him an extra 400. So to go back and then full creative control, I mm. can't even think he outside of free, outside of maybe George Lucas. Mm hmm. I can't even think of another massive budget movie that had. All right. creative control in one person's hands. That is, from an artistic point of view, endlessly fascinating to me. Right. I mean, the, the closest you're going to get to that is Kill Bill. Oh, Tarantino. The closest you're going to get to that is Tarantino, but those are mid-budget films, mm -hmm. really. Uh, if you're going to look at big budget, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, this, is, this is a fascinating artifact. It's so interesting that it happened. Yeah, and so... And like I said, I haven't seen it, so I don't actually know. Like, I've seen Man of Steel. He did Man of Steel, didn't he? He did Man of Steel, yes. And it is clear from that and from the other DC movies uh, that, you know, the Snyder vision of superheroes is in many ways the exact opposite of Marvel, right? Yeah. Marvel is, here's regular people who suddenly have incredible powers and have to deal with them. And Snyder's version of superheroes that we see through Man of Steel and all these others is yes. here are these godlike, incredible beings that who is are enhanced in the Snyder cut above and beyond us. Yeah, kind of forced to live among us, even though they will never belong. So I have thoughts on this too. I really think Zack Snyder is interesting, um, and this is this is odd because I don't actually like any of the films. Um, right. I don't like Man of Steel. I 
actively dislike Batman versus Superman, don't like Justice League, kind of like the new one. Uh, okay, the, the, Snyder Snyder, the Snyder Cut right. works for you. The works for me. Okay, it is better. It is enjoyable. It is enjoyable, but partially because of the author behind the scenes watching all of this happen. Yeah. So I don't. I wouldn't say that I like any of these films, despite the fact that I really like a lot of the performances. Right? Like I, I really like Henry Cavill as Superman. Mm -hmm. I really like Batfleck, um, and he's better in the new one. Um, but I think. He's, you know, I think they they have some really, I mean, Jason Momoa is very talented, um, and I, I really I, like I Gal Gadot. Aquaman, as, and I love Wonder Woman. The right, movies, I do love the Wonder Woman. Th those, also. those, neither of those are Snyder movies, no. but they are part of the Snyder aesthetic. But I, I find so I don't like these movies, but I'm fascinated by them mm -hmm. because of what you just mentioned, Zack Snyder. So. I would rather have Zack Snyder making these movies than them made by committee, even though the movies aren't for me. Yes. Right? Because they have a really interesting vision. They are an interesting take on the, uh, on the characters. And uh, I think he has a, a fascinating aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. But what I don't like, um, so maybe I'm reading too much into this, but um, Zack Snyder's an objectivist, right? This is a, a philosophy. Kind of Anne Rand. Yeah, okay. Ayn. I think her name was said Ayn. Ayn, you're um, right. And, uh, and he has said things before about that philosophy. I don't know how much he's into it, but he has. Most people will know that are probably listening to this podcast will know an objectivist philosophy through the eyes of the Bioshock uh, games. Mm -hmm. um, though that is a critical look at it. So you can't, you know... Basically, you can't judge too much based on the critics' visualization of an objective philosophy. Yeah. I do not subscribe to objectivist philosophy. Um, I find it interesting. Um, but one of the things about objectivism is individual liberty and the rights of the individual. And there's this kind of undertone of the individual must look out for the individual, right? Like mm -hmm. that is a... a he good. And again, I'm not an objectivist, so I apologize if I get some of this philosophy wrong. Um, and I, I don't want to be offensive to those who like this philosophy. But it's that's an interesting philosophy in normal life. Like the, the objectivism very much subscribes to the great man philosophy. Mm -hmm. This person will create something great through looking out through for their own interests and preserving their individual liberties, and you will end up with these, you know, monolith, these um these these Walt Disney's, right, mm -hmm. um, are are the, the the objective philosophy kind of looks at this, and that's you know there's some problems with that in my kind of moral philosophy when you look at just normal individuals. When you add in super powered individuals, mm -hmm. it's a really interesting way to look at people with superpowers. When Superman individual, like what is best for Superman, becomes a theme in a Superman film, you then have a huge contrast between how we view Superman and how he's being viewed. And I remember when I watched Man of Steel and how bizarre the moment was where Pa Kent would not allow Superman yeah. to come save him from a tornado because that would out Superman and Superman had the right to not be outed. And Pa Kent gave his life to not have Superman have to save him because Superman shouldn't have to save anyone by this philosophy. And I saw that scene, I'm like, this is the dumbest scene I've ever seen in a superhero movie <laughs> yeah, of all time. Yeah. And I have seen some pretty, I, I have seen the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Um, and wow. so this is, um, this is, and this, that was the dumbest moment. I really mm -hmm. like Superman. I like Pa Kent. Um, you know, I grew up with, um, with Lois and Clark, which has this kind of, familial take on everything and mm -hmm. that's like my superman uh mixed with some stuff like kingdom come and the comics that were coming out uh, i'm not a huge comic nerd this is why i'm not a true like nerd yeah like, i haven't read a ton of comics i've read kingdom come which was really good <laughs> yeah. right because my friends who are nerds gave it to me and said read this you know uh, all-star superman read this this is a good superman self-contained thing to read mm -hmm. um but i do really like superman and it wasn't until I kind of started to get Snyder's aesthetic and his philosophy that that scene made sense. And I hate the scene, <laughs> but I'm so fascinated that it exists. Right? Yeah. 
and and the fact that there can be an underlying explanation for that scene which so many people hated and yet makes sense from this perspective is another thing that fascinates me about you know snyder and and his view on superheroes the idea that uh you know you take this thing and that you focus more on what is good for me rather than what is good for the world is an inherently bizarre way of looking at a a superhero in the first place yeah and the thing is you can see that in um let's say iron man 3 which is also very overtly about what is best for Tony Stark? Right. right? Spider-Man 2, the original Spider-Man's is another yeah. one asking this how, question. How can you protect your life and your privacy and your well-being while also helping the world? And yet Snyder's answer to those questions are so wildly different from Spider-Man 2 and Iron Man 3 and all these other things. It's amazing to me. Uh, really fascinating. <laughs> and uh, it's... Like, I'm so glad these movies exist. I'm so glad that they exist. Um, and I just, I aesthetically, do I even say that word? Aesthetically? Aesthetically. I worry I say that word wrong. Uh, I think everyone says that okay, word wrong. Okay, here's a tangent. The word I said wrong for the longest time was seg. Segway. So segway is, I thought segway? everyone... So segue, you know, there's a segue between which, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't do. I just went straight into yeah. a different thing. <laughs> um, so that word, I, it, there's a thing we call um, Peter, my editorial director call, talks about. It. It's a reader first response, I believe, where you've read a word mm. many times, but never mm. heard it spoken. Mm-hmm. I thought that when people wrote segue, they were writing a shortened version of it, like et al. or oh. et cetera, oh. because the word segue is spelled very strangely. It mm-hmm. looks like half a word. Yeah, comes from French. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a normal sort of uh, sort of thing, and so I always would say the word "seg" because I saw "seg" and I'm like, that's short for segue. It's like etc. <laughs> no, Brandon, the word no, "segue" is spelled "segue," <laughs> and you've just been sounding like a doofus for the last yeah. 35 years or whatever it is till I figured it but out. But you know that is such a I was a big reader as a kid oh, yeah. kind of thing because mm-hmm. if you read books constantly and you read these words but you've never heard them yes. pronounced you get that for me um i thought that epitome uh-huh. was spelled e-p-i-t-a-m-y mm. and that the actual word epitome was pronounced epitome and it referred to something else like i had no clue how those connected in any way yeah so back on topic <laughs> slightly um so what do you think about this idea of uh, recutting something that's already been made? And let me give you some context for this. Context for this. Okay. Um, second book of Stormlight. Um, uh, again, this is the book of endless pages. Uh, at the end, <laughs> I had a character make a decision. I won't spoil things here. Uh, this will be non-spoiler. Even when we talk about pop culture, we'll try to not spoil things unless it's like more than five years old or something like that. Is that is that our statute yeah, of let's, limitations? Let's make that our statute of limitations. Um, and so anything, you know, I'm not a serial killer. You can spoil. I guess we could spoil this because it's our own work, but I'm not going to spoil this. Man, five years ago was 2016. That's perverse. Yes. Oh yeah. We we are old, Dan. We are, that's, there's a podcast name. We are old. We are old. And grouchy about it. Um, is get off my lawn a (laughs) podcast name? (laughs) We, we had it. We had it. I had to look and trademark that one. Um, so I, Birds of Radiance, like all of the Stormlight books have taken me a little bit by surprise. Not anymore, but um, so this was the time when my fame was rising exponentially still, right at the end of the exponential rise, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Wheel of Time had come out and I released the first Stormlight book in the middle of the Wheel of Time. And, you know, my sales were going from... Um, opening week of a thousand copies or two to an opening week of hundreds of thousands of copies, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, because of this, the publishers were moving up release dates and want pushing me to release the book sooner. And we did not have a good balance on this. Words of Radiance is the book where famously Peter got dehydrated working on the, uh, on the copy edit and worked so long that he collapsed 
oh, and was wow. taken to the hospital for fluids. Holy right? crap. Um, I did not hear that. How did yes. I not know that? Yeah. So um, none of us understood, like, we uh, we could very easily have fallen into crunch mentality. And mm -hmm. afterwards, Radiance, I instituted that. Nobody works more than eight hours a day unless they get permission from us. And if you are consistently working more than eight hours a day, something's wrong with the job and we need to get you assistant or find less to do, right? Yeah. No one in the company is allowed to work more than eight hours a day except me without permission. Um, and we instituted that. So I didn't have to worry about people going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, there was a huge flurry of things happening in the revisions. And I went back and forth on a thing I made at the ending. And the, we turned the book in and I immediately regretted it. Like that was the wrong ending. Mm. I should have done the other one. And I just it hummed and hawed and the books were printed and things. And then I finally said, no, let's change it back. Change it, change it for all future printings. Uh, change it for the ebook. Um, um, I want to go back to the other ending. And it created this issue where my fans are like, but what's the canon ending? I have a first printing. Now the ending has changed. And it was really confusing and a kind of a huge problem, even to this day, that I changed. Nobody lived that died or died that lived, but I changed a big part of why a character, what a character did. Yeah. Um, and to this day, that's haunted me a little bit in the part of me wants to make that a common thing where I'm like, it's been 20 years. There are some huge flaws um, in these books. Let me tell you about the worst one. Here's another <laughs> tangent. Worst, worst flaw. So um, in uh, Mistborn, um, like the grim, dark movement in fantasy was very much at its height when mm -hmm. I was writing Mistborn. And I'm not very grim, dark, but it's a darker book for me. Um, and I was creating this world. And I wrote this thing where... Um, see if I, I want to say it delicately. Um, the nobility considered the lower classes disposable in ways that I look back and now find uncomfortable. Mm. Um, right. Um, and it actually, uh, specifically kind of how they treat, um, people who, um, are crossbreeds between a nobleman and a, um, a non-noble, um, and even the potential that might happen regarding that. There are just some things that I look back and I'm like, eh. and even soon after, I'm like, eh, that was the grimdark influence getting me. This actually makes no sense. Like in the <laughs> books, they hunt down the, the ch children of crossbreeds and they kill them, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the children of crossbreeds might have superpowers that you can then canonically in the books give to one of your friends through a kind of horrific rite, but you can do. They should be watching these people to make use of them uh it's it's terrible in in a different way but so there's both a lore reason that it should be changed and also me saying that book didn't need that it makes me uncomfortable now every time i think about it and i have ever since like like a year after the book came out i'm like i don't like that yeah. i would like to rewrite the books to take that out so you want to do the special edition Star yeah. Wars version of Mistborn? Yeah, I'd like to do the special edition Star Wars version of Mistborn that I think is taking out something that, in retrospect, is a uh, is actually a little cringy. Um, and you know, the the Mistborn also has a big problem in that. Uh, for those who haven't read it, I have a character manifest a new power at the end of the first book. There's something I was planning to use in the second book. Moshe said the ending needs more oomph, and so I drew this thing and put it in. I didn't need it. I could have forced myself to stretch. It's how I came up with Sanderson's first law is mm. that I did this mm -hmm. and regretted it. Um, and so the ending has this little thing that's kind of a, a flaw. And it's, but this is the series that people most often read to find out what kind of writer I am. Like, there are these two things that really <laughs> bug me about this series. Um, should I change it? And the, the answer seems to be no. But what's your opinion? Like, well, I mean, the the answer I think has to include when are you going to stop? Mm -hmm. You will always, I assume, continue improving as a writer, and you will continue learning things about yourself and about the world. Your opinions about what is cringy right. and what is not will continue to evolve. And so, you know, you rewrite Mistborn now, and then do you find yourself rewriting it again in 20 more years? Maybe. Is that 
Is that a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, Disney um, went back and I'm really glad that they cut out the super racist section of, um, of Fantasia. Aladdin? No, Fantasia. The, oh. the racist section of Aladdin is nowhere near as super racist as the one of Fantasia, which is just a thing that, you know, they they it's in the centaur scenes. They have a black centaur as a servant to the other centaurs mm -hmm. playing comic relief yeah. uh, in ways like the whole the whole thing is just super bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and a very yeah. old style, like minstrel show, minstrel show, blackface yeah. cartoon kind of. Yeah, it's thing. it's like um, it's super bad. This isn't a leftist, rightist thing. Everybody I know who sees that is like, whoa. Yeah, regardless yeah. of your political affiliations. I love Fantasia. I really like it. I'm sure, sure glad I can have a copy of that that just doesn't have it in there anymore. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's revisionist history a little bit and things like that. Um, but you know what? I'm just I'm just glad that they could go and make a few snips. And, and yeah. Like, well, and now now that we've raised this specter, mm -hmm. we're getting into the whole current conversation yeah. about Dr. Seuss we and are. everything else. Mm -hmm. Which um, I think is too political for how I want this podcast to go. So yeah. maybe we'll veer away from that. But just talk <laughs> about it as artists. What do you think about recutting your work? So yes, like I don't know. I it would be easy for me to have a better opinion on this if I could point to something that was changed rather than merely quote unquote censored. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and well, is now better for it. Snyder Cut, I think, is better for this expansion. And um having seen it, like Mixing Joss Whedon with Zack Snyder aesthetic was just a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, just just awful. Um, and um it's uh it's I mean it's overly long. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean I'm calling the kettle black, right? Like you know what? <laughs> yeah. Uh the, yeah, maybe it People could be People who trimmed. write 400,000 word books yes. don't get to make fun of four-hour movies. I do not at all. Um, and so, yeah, maybe it's a little overlong. Um, and again, I don't like his aesthetic taste. I don't like his artistic taste. I don't like his artistic take on superheroes. Um, but I find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I, as a consumer and as a person who likes art, am super glad that the Snyder Cut exists, I think it is much improved. I am glad he got a chance to create his vision for yeah. this thing, and uh, like this is a this is a net positive in so many ways. I, I agree with you, and like I said, even without having seen the movie, um, the just purely as a cultural artifact, I am glad that it exists. I am glad that an artist was given this mm -hmm. kind of freedom. My um, respect for I Zack Snyder it. went through the roof because of this whole thing. Because I knew, for instance, we, I think we mentioned earlier, he didn't take a salary. He just yeah. wanted to create mm -hmm. this thing. Um, and he wanted to kind of look back at it and say, hey, this is what I wanted to do. And watching it, I'm like, I get it. I get you better, man. I understand <laughs> your artistic style better. And good job. Yeah. And, and so I think for me, where I land on this, is that this is a weird corner case, right? Because it doesn't happen often that an auteur right. is forced to step away from a passion project and then, you know, has the uh, need or the opportunity to go back and fix it. I mean, it happened to Blade Runner, right? Um, though there's like, Blade Runner might be arguing the other direction because there's like seven cuts of Blade Runner. And so many different versions the, of Blade Runner. Uh, the artist who made that has some interesting comments about Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Ridley Scott. Well, and uh, you know, going back to a, the similar era, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm -hmm. There's three, if not four, different cuts of that. Yeah. Um, Spielberg's kind of personal favorite cut mm -hmm. does not work for me because mm -hmm. it it has the whole sequence inside the spaceship that I don't oh. think mm -hmm. lands properly. Yeah, I'm not um, with you on that one. Though I prefer the director's cut of The Abyss. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of nice. I, I feel like Lucas earned this whole thing a ton of bad will by doing one thing really wrong, which is just not making the originals available. Yeah. Uh, if the originals were available and you could choose which one to watch, then I don't think that people would have this whole 
oh, they, he Lucased it. And that was my worry when I was doing Words of Radiance. Am I mm-hmm. Lucasing this? Um, <laughs> right? Well, and we have to talk about Lucas when we talk about an artist going back to fix their stuff because the special editions are such a big deal. And the thing is, I would say 70 to 80% of the changes he made were fantastic. Yeah, I, I actually have had this argument with people before because I don't like the special editions, but most of it's really good. Yeah. And we, the stuff you don't notice is good. And the stuff you do notice tends to be bad. All of the like background of Bespin stuff mm. is so good. Cloud like City that. is yeah. so much more visually interesting and believable now than it used to be. He but went then, a little overboard um, with the, the, the same thing outside the cantina um, at Moss Eisley. Just a little overboard. You... Oh, the the musical number? No, no, no. That one's way over. No, yeah, I'm talking that one's about way over the top. Like the city itself. Oh, you're walking yeah. In little overboard instead of just little background bit, stuff. But not not yeah. to the point that it bothers me. Um, so most of the special editions, what what I would love, mm-hmm. and this will never happen, but what I want is I want the DVD where in the menu you get to pick. Just check the box. I want to see. All the Cloud City stuff. I don't want to see the stupid Han and Jabba scene in New Hope. I, you know, cut oh, out this, keep number. this, uh, let Han shoot first. You know, pick and choose your ideal personal version of the special editions. But that is impossible. <laughs> I mean, technologically, it is doable. But the yeah. thing is, I was reading about this just the other day. Um, Lucas was so kind of zealous in his destruction of the originals that they are incredibly hard to find non-special editions of any good video quality anywhere i've heard that as well it's it's it exists somewhere because he also didn't throw stuff away you know that guy is the one who has there's a vault somewhere in Mm -hmm. uh skywalker ranch yeah he's the type that you pull up in the drawer and he has the bags he went shopping in 1993 (laughs) and is going to use them someday uh but um that's our podcast, guys. That is uh, that is the Brandon and Dan. Uh, still, don't, we don't still have a name. We still don't have a name. We'll come this. up with a name next time. How about that? Awesome. Let's do it. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We have no outro. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>